Phil, we often find out on this podcast how young and immature you are. You mean how old and out of touch you are? Ah, yeah, that too. So today I'm wondering if you know who David Letterman is. I have a vague understanding that he used to hold a TV show that was on past my bedtime when I was a child. Yeah, he's got a beard now and he looks like Rumpelstiltskin last time I saw him. He kind of looks like a homeless Santa Claus. Well, today on Center Stage with Milford and Hands, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics, we're going to recreate one of Letterman's top 10 lists. Those were really popular back in the 1990s when you were in uh, middle school, Phil. Yeah, yeah, that's about right, yeah. It turns out social media loves lists. Really? And so does the podcasting world. Like, I just saw this one this morning, Five Reasons Pigs Are More Awesome Than You. Did you know that pigs can eat tree bark and scream at 115 decibels? That's as loud as an F-35 fighter jet. Which, by the way, are coming to Madison. We got the final uh, designation on that this week. Oh, the horror. Oh, the horror. Somebody think of the children. I had no idea all the disruption that rural Wisconsin has from all those pigs screaming as loud as a jet fighter. Have you ever driven past a pig farm, Scott? The scream is not the thing you worry about the most. <laughs> no, it's that derriere. <laughs> Another list I just saw on the internet was 23 coronavirus cartoons for these crazy times. Wait a minute. That was your list on Madison.com. Wow. Somebody's really brilliant. We're going to add to that list on Madison.com today by talking about the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics. I'm Scott Milfred. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are half of the State Journal editorial board. The top 10 half. David Letterman days, he would start with his weakest joke as number 10, and then he'd build up to number one, which was his best joke. But I, I didn't have time to do all that. I just... Well, this is... We're not joking around here, Scott. This is a very serious, respectable podcast. The first thing I thought was the most obvious and maybe consequential in the recent weeks was that number one in the top 10 list of how the coronavirus has affected politics, political rallies are banned. Absolutely. That's going to make a huge difference especially for Donald Trump. Political rallies are sort of his bread and butter, and that's what he loves doing. And that's something that's driving him to want to open up this economy and put this whole coronavirus behind us is the idea that he's got to get in front of a big, loving, adoring crowd to get his political mojo. Yeah, he needs his mojo back. And without his arena-sized rallies, he's really hurt by that. Bernie Sanders was maimed as well. Oh, yeah. Bernie Sanders, after Joe Biden won a couple of key states, Bernie Sanders, he couldn't raise money. He couldn't get in front of people. He couldn't act relevant. I think his campaign was over electorally as it is. But his last chance for a last gasp comeback were ruined by the virus. It's kind of a silver lining here that the populist candidates, who I never really enjoy, it seems like, I'm not so upset that the populist candidates are struggling because they can't do giant rallies. On the flip side, Joe Biden sounds better in his basement than he ever does on the campaign trail. Exactly. I like that, too. Right now, the virus is good for Biden because he doesn't benefit from those big rallies, I don't think, in the same way that Trump does. No. And plus, with the virus raging around, 
around, it's Trump's fault, you know, and, and, and Biden gets to sit on the sidelines and rack up the points and look dignified and, and presidential, basically, while Trump flails in front of the TV screens. So long as Biden can break through Trump's 24-7 reality show presidency and get some of his own attention. All right, number two in the top 10 list of ways the coronavirus has affected politics. Number two. Door-to-door campaigning is now suspicious. And this would m- maybe more affect a race for, say, sheriff this fall or a local race where door-to-door politicking is really important. Important. Maya Pearson, who just lost for Madison School Board, said, for example, she thought that hurt her grassroots campaign. But in the race for president, it affects their volunteers. They'll knock on your door and say, I want to remind you that the election's coming up on Tuesday and I uh, hope you can count on your vote for Donald Trump, that sort of thing. I mean, I think people will be suspicious, but I don't know if it's going to have that big of an effect. Because first of all, Scott, so I have a very small front porch. And so when somebody knocks on my door, they have to climb up the three steps to my door, they knock on it, and then just invariably they have to step down the steps again because there's not enough room for them to stand on the porch once once the door is opened up. So we have our six feet. I think people can make this work. I think it'll just be people knocking on doors and then stepping back. Yeah, maybe so. When they delivered my pizza last night from Ian's, they call you and they say, we're going to leave the pizza on your steps. And then you can come out and get it because you have to pay in advance. The only thing is they really want to make sure it's your house. So they don't say, oh, we just left it on your steps. And it's like five doors down. What kind of pizza did you get? Did you guys get the mac and cheese pizza? We did get a small mac and cheese because my youngest daughter loves it. And then we got the somewhat larger veggie pizza. I like their veggie pizza. My kids adore the Ian's mac and cheese pizza. It is like the biggest deal at our house to order that pizza for them. And we're not being paid to say that, although we'd love to have an ad. All right, so I guess we're in a little disagreement there. I still think uh, the door-to-door retail politics isn't going to work like it used to because people aren't going to open the door. Who knows where we'll be on the course of this virus come September when it's time to start knocking on doors. Number three in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics, there might not be a convention in Milwaukee. Yeah, that would be horrible. Yeah, this was a big deal when Wisconsin landed the Democratic National Convention. Wisconsin has never hosted a national political convention before. I guess unless you count the Republican Party starting in Ripon, Wisconsin in the schoolhouse. But that was back in 1854. Even I wasn't around. The convention itself was supposed to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars of economic activity to the city of Milwaukee, sort of showcase the brand new arena And the brand new brewery district around there. Hopefully it goes forward. Right now it's just been delayed. Yeah, they punted it to August, uh, but Joe Biden did float that it's possible they will not be able to have it in person, that they'll have it virtually. That does not help the Democratic cause in Wisconsin. One of the things, you and I went over to Milwaukee to the Fiserv Center a couple months ago as a preview to the convention. We did a podcast from that. You can go back and listen to it at go.madison.com slash center stage. If I'm not mistaken, it was a very good podcast too, Scott. It was awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely made the top 10 best center stage podcasts of all time. In any case, we went over there and one of the things we learned was that it's not just the attention that's focused on Wisconsin during the convention that's important as the Democrats try to take back Wisconsin. You'll recall they narrowly lost it for the first time since Ronald Reagan. 
to Donald Trump by 20-some thousand votes in 2016. So they want to win it back. They think they should be able to. But what the convention does beyond just the publicity while it's going on is they recruit more than a thousand volunteers from Wisconsin to come to the convention and serve as workers at the convention and help people get where they need to go. And all those volunteers get totally pumped by the energy of all those people being together and by seeing the candidates. And after the convention, they go out across Wisconsin and become very good cheerleaders and energetic supporters who will go knocking on the door and push the Democratic agenda. So that would hurt the Democrats. Big league if they can't have a convention here. And also strategically, part of the ramp up to the convention was Democrats going to Wisconsin and sort of studying Wisconsin politics and understanding sort of some of the idiosyncrasies of our state's politics, which, and since we're such a close swing state, I think our state's politics are a really good lesson for national Democratic figures if they're trying to figure out how to defeat Donald Trump. And not doing that, if the convention gets canceled, I think puts the Democrats strategically behind. Number four in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics, absentee voting by mail has now gone mainstream. Oh, yeah. More than 1.1 million people voted absentee out of about 1.5 million votes cast in total. Now, just to be clear, absentee voting, you can go to the polling place in advance of the election in the weeks in advance and vote there with an absentee ballot. But most people, because of the coronavirus and the fears that going to a polling place, if it were crowded, would be dangerous because you might pick up the virus. A lot of people, like moi, ordered online a absentee ballot, filled it out at home and sent it in on time. So many people in the national media just missed what happened in Wisconsin, in my view. It was a mess this last Tuesday election. But what nobody talks about is that more than 1.1 million people voted ahead of time absentee through the mail. There was dramatic images of people looking like it was the end of times waiting in line with masks over their faces. So there was dramatic imagery, but that didn't tell the whole story of our election. No, in fact, that was mostly Milwaukee, somewhat Green Bay, and maybe a couple other communities. In virtually every other community, there was no line, if any line, because most Wisconsinites, we responsibly filled out our absentee ballots in advance and sent them in. Some people complained about not getting their ballots, but I think we're going to find out that was several thousand in the course of over a million ballots ordered. But in any case, the chaos was really in the court decisions and the politicians arguing over what was going to happen. It wasn't at the polls that day. I think the Washington Post is a little off on this, where they seem to think that we all had to go and catch the virus at the polls. No. And then they seem to be saying, this is why we need absentee ballots. No, Wisconsin showed how you can do absentee ballots well and effectively. Yeah, I think I think they did. Especially if you know in advance that you have to do it. Because we're finding out now that like eight in 10 voters got their ballots online. And we had a pretty high turnout election, too. It's not like turnout was dramatically lower than it usually is in these sort of races. But my main point on this is that people like me and you and a whole bunch of people across Wisconsin, I never voted absentee. I always thought you're going to vote absentee as a good voter if, you can, if you're going to be out of state or you're in the hospital or some weird thing happened or you can't get out of the house because you're in a nursing home. It wasn't for healthy people who could walk to the poll. I kind of like going to the polls. It's exciting. It's democracy. So for the first time, a whole bunch of people figured out, oh, this is how you do absentee ballot. It's actually really easy. 
I think maybe I'll do this more. There are a couple of things that we could do to make it a little bit easier for people to vote absentee as well. And I think we can work around the edges on that sort of stuff. But I think encouraging people to vote absentee, especially during these times, and making it easily inaccessible for people is should be policies going forward. Yeah, and we had a op-ed in Sunday's newspaper by a reporter who said that she had duped the system and got some absentee ballots illegally uh, just to see if she could do it. And she said it was easy. But I don't know. I think that most people will not try to defraud the system for one extra vote or two or three extra votes if they could face, say, a felony for doing it. That was all about registration and defrauding the registration system, basically, which is different than the absentee ballot system. Under a current Wisconsin law, you can't register to vote without a driver's license or some sort of identification. And so we already have systems in place in Wisconsin that make her points invalid. You know, and that she was talking about doing it in Florida, too. And we all know how well Florida runs elections. As much as the Republicans seem resistant to this, I think there has been some evidence in recent days to show that Utah, for example, does mail-in ballots, it, it, which is a deep red state. You can do this and not have Democrats always win. You also can tighten the security on it. I think more than any other way, just let the Republicans stiffen the penalty, put put people in jail if they do it. And nobody's going to do it because nobody's going to risk jail or something like that for a few extra votes. Yeah, I can't imagine a world, though, Scott, where the bleeding heart liberals uh, go out and tout these people that are stuck in jail for decades because they uh, all they did was make some simple voter fraud mistakes. <laughs> well, and as another column pointed out, there was in the case of, uh, was it the- North Carolina, they had to redo the election because it was a Republican operative basically abusing the mail-in voting system. So I'm not saying it's foolproof, but it would seem to me that we could allow a wider window for absentee ballots with the trade-off being we're going to tighten security and increase the penalty. There's this idea that mail-in voting will increase turnout, right? More people will vote. If you look at some of the states that have mail-in voting, like Washington, Oregon, Utah, you know a better way to get more turnout? Be Wisconsin. Wisconsin has higher turnout than any of those states do. And we've always, we always do in, in, in general elections. So, you know, Wisconsin, you know, we, we turn out to vote. It's sort of what we do in this state. Part of the advantage we have is we can register to vote on the same day as you vote. Number five in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics. Government debt is no longer just ignored as it always has been, it's invisible. Not even the deficit hawks will mention it. Yeah, I think everybody sort of decided that it's the wrong time to talk about deficits right now because uh, people are dying and there's no economy. Yeah, unfortunately for both the Republicans and the Democrats, when we had a 10-year surge in the economy with growth and record unemployment, that wasn't a time to talk about debt either. We just kept piling it on. It's never the right time to talk about debt. You and I don't think that Trump's tax cuts did a whole lot of good, but they added to the deficit in a time when we could have used our economic growth to, to work down our debt, and instead we cut taxes to the point where we just added to the deficit. And we also increased spending on the military and domestic spending. We undid caps on spending increases that had been put in the budget in 2013. Those are gone. Both sides agreed. Hey, the economy's roaring now. What do we need to do? take off that loose cap and spend more. So it's not just a tax cut like liberals say, it was also more spending. No doubt. Number six in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics, 
The push for sick leave pay is back, and health care is even higher on the national agenda. What do you think of that? We're going to hear sob stories of people who got the coronavirus and now can't pay for their medical bills. And that's going to be right the, at, the, at the height of this election. So I think it's hard to imagine it not being a giant issue. We don't want people that have the virus to go to work. In six months, eight months, ten months, there are going to be people who get infected with this coronavirus again. And we don't want them to go to work. You and I work for a company that gives us ample sick days and time off, but a lot of people don't have that option. And a lot of Republicans at the State House and in Congress just voted to guarantee health care for people who come down with COVID-19. Maybe not their entire sickness, but there are some votes taking place by conservatives that would have not taken place prior to the coronavirus epidemic. Yeah, I, I wonder if Medicare for all is going to get a boost out of this because I think there's concern about some people not having any insurance at all. And then what happens to them if, when you go to the hospital with COVID-19? And you know what? I mean, who knows what Donald Trump thinks about this kind of stuff? He's made hints that he supported like Canadian socialized medicine in the past. And Joe Biden just proposed lowering the Medicare eligibility age to 60 in order to help him get Bernie Sanders endorsement the other day. Number seven. In the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics, the handshake, long a symbol of bipartisan cooperation, is now dangerous. Will the handshake ever come back, Phil, or are we going to move to the Japanese nod, which I prefer over the sort of square dancing, use your elbow thing? I think the nod's a good thing to do. Let's definitely not hug and kiss anymore. Well, Pelosi and Trump don't really talk or like to shake hands generally, but let's say there's two politicians like... Tammy Baldwin and Ron Johnson see each other at an event where they're sponsoring a wonderful bill for Wisconsin citizens, like guaranteeing the right to see the Packer game on TV or something. Very important issue, Scott. Will they shake? The shake never made sense to doctors to begin with, because all you're doing is going around and handing whatever germs you have to everyone else. I think Dr. Fauci has said that he'd like to see that go away permanently, the handshake. Maybe we live in a nation that doesn't do handshakes anymore. The Japanese don't shake hands. They nod. Because our hands are dirty, filthy things. If bowing or nodding works for sumo wrestling, it ought to work for Wisconsin politics. But I do kind of wonder, if you can't shake somebody's hand, does that have an effect on cooperation in government? Well, what kind of cooperation in government do we see usually? And not much. I mean, uh, I I, I don't know if the handshake's going to make or break bipartisan cooperation. I wonder if maybe we need a psychologist to tell us, though, that there is something real concrete about shaking someone's hand and cutting a deal that there is something we lose if we don't do that anymore it's all just learned behavior scott we're smart we're smart animals we can figure it out speak for yourself let's also go to number eight in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics even politicians understand technology now oh yeah that's true and journalists barely i mean our editor still couldn't get into the zoom call the other day <laughs> Uh, we're doing this podcast by a Zoom call, which we had never done Zoom calls before this. Uh, the politicians are all talking about it. Mark Pocan, he's the last congressman I spoke with. And he was like, Scott, have you done Zoom yet? You got to do Zoom. I'm doing it with my staff every morning. It's awesome. There's a whole bunch of politicians that, you know, they don't have a Twitter account. I remember um, Mike Ellis, uh, God rest his soul, and I, I really liked Mike Ellis, but he was one of those guys who was like, if you send me an email, I'm not going to read it. I don't do email. That was back in the day. He was a senator until 2015. I mean, this is, this is not ancient history. No, email was a thing. 
and he was not doing that thing. I mean, there are some politicians that just don't like technology. They're old school. They want to shake somebody's hand. They want to backslap. It's sort of the Joe Bidens of the world. They want to shake your hand, rub your back, smell your hair, you know? I think what's happened here is a big, giant push for all the politicians to learn how to do technology. I think that's a really good thing. The use of technology because of this pandemic is really going to change the way our society works. I mean, my kids right now are doing schoolwork via Zoom or digitally. I think a lot of ways they're getting more efficient doing it too. Number nine in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics, campaign fundraising is down and delicate. We need to wait and see what the the hall is when they have their quarterly reports on how the politicians are doing at raising money from us. But there was just a couple headlines Wall Street donors forego political campaign contributions during coronavirus pandemic. Here's another one. This is from CBS. Fundraising amid the coronavirus pandemic. Trump and Biden campaigns walk narrow line. It's really hard when people are suffering, maybe they're unemployed, to go and ask them, hey, will you give me a hundred or a thousand dollars for my political campaign? On the flip side of that, there's less things for candidates to spend money on right now, too. You're not traveling around the country. You're not holding rallies. You're not paying an army of uh, staffers to knock on doors for you right now. So I don't think it's going to be a wash because I think most of the money raised is goes to advertising. And I think there's going to be a lot of advertising. But the 2016 presidential election was estimated to cost $2.4 billion with a B dollars. And they're going to want and need more money than that this time. I don't know if they're going to get it if the pandemic continues. Number 10 in the top 10 ways the coronavirus has changed politics. This is the best for last, right, Scott? Well, I don't know. It was the the 10th one I could think of. Engagement may be up, up, and away. And what I mean by this is, uh, for starters, here at the Wisconsin State Journal, it turns out when people are stuck in their homes, they're much more likely to write a letter to the editor or a guest column to the State Journal. We have been inundated. Inundated, yeah. Getting, keeping track of all the letters has really, really been uh, uh, a trying task. And, you know, I did a tweet on this. You can follow me at Scott Milfred or you can follow Phil Hands at Phil Hands on Twitter. I did a tweet about this uh, that I kind of wonder if the pandemic in Wisconsin actually increased voter turnout. Near the end of that spring election, even though people weren't canvassing you at the door, there was just huge national attention on the Wisconsin spring election. And... As a result, on the front page every day was some new court ruling, something new Evers was doing. The legislature wasn't going to do it. How is this going to affect these two candidates for the Supreme Court? There was just enormous attention. And I think with a lot of people, for weeks in advance, they were being encouraged to vote absentee, which more than a million did, as we said. Despite the risk, the coronavirus and the government's response to it in a lot of different ways is actually making the public pay more attention to what the government is doing and politics. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. I know the traffic on Madison.com is way up and people are reading our website like never before. And I think people are looking at consuming or consuming all sorts of news like never before. Now, I, and I think it's going to leak onto more than just news about the pandemic. I think people are going to read about politics and how the leaders are responding to it. And uh, my takeaway from all this is, is, you know, a better informed public 
is not good news for Donald Trump. You're probably right about that. <laughs> I don't know if it's good news for Biden either, but I know it's not good for Trump. Yes, he's he's up to something like 18,000 uh, falsehoods now, according to the Washington Post fact checker. He relies on low information voters, I think. That's 10. That's 10. We made it. We did. It's an amazing list, Scott. Thank you for putting that together. I had another fact, Phil, uh, about pigs. Is it a true fact or an alternative fact? It claimed that a pig can run a seven-minute mile. Somehow I have a feeling that's faster than you or I, Phil. Yes, that is faster than me. I mean, maybe in my prime, I could do, I could crack seven minutes, but not anymore. My kid can. Well, yeah. Well, that's because she's like a track star. She's not an old, dirty hippie who draws cartoons and drinks too much coffee and craft beer. Find and follow Center Stage with Milford and Hands on your favorite podcasting app or at go.madison.com slash center stage. Our theme music is by Tube Tester. Thanks to Felix Bloom and Jared Gibb for the pig noises. Where are those politicians? Oh, my God.